Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see your faces. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a week, what a month, what a year. Holy Toledo. Uh, Isn't it great to be children of the living God? It is, isn't it? Because, you know, you freak out. You still freak out, right? You lose your mind, and you start getting a little silly, and then you, you remember, right? That's the thing I love about the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him the comforter right? Uh, He is the comforter. Uh, And our God, the Bible says, is the God of all comfort. And whatever it is that distresses us, whatever it is that gets us flying off into the buckwheat, right? Uh, Whatever it is that gets us distracted, the Holy Spirit living inside of our hearts, in each one of our hearts, is what brings us back to our center, which is Christ, right? And, and I've heard, you know, pastors say before in pastors' conferences and stuff like that, remember, you idiots, right, <laughs> to pastors, uh, remember to keep the main thing the main thing. It's so easy to get caught up in this thing and caught up in this thing, and not necessarily bad things, right? It is so easy. One of the, one of the things about myself that is so distressing sometimes is how caught up I get in my wonderful life, right? I have a great life. I wake up every morning and I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for everything that God has blessed me with. And I'm so grateful for that. And I know that the things that I have, the good things that I have are from God because he loves me. But oftentimes this thing can happen where I become so focused on these wonderful things and on all of the blessings in my life that I forget that I'm here for a reason, that I have a job to do, and that God has called each one of us to something higher than just living this life. The Bible says that if it was only for this life that we had hope in Christ, we would be above all men the most pitiable. And the point that Paul was making in that was that they were suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were being persecuted for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were being driven from town to town, from city to city, from country to country because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Paul was put in stocks. Paul was put in chains. And he was like, imagine if in my heart, imagine if in my life, I was always just focused on the here and now, and my hope was bound up in what happens on this earth. Imagine how pitiable I would be. Imagine how distressed I would be. Imagine how depressed I would be. But Paul said, I found this divine truth and this beauty in my life that I understand that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He would go on to tell the church that between you and me, I'd rather be dead right? Just between you and me, if I'm being honest, Paul says to the church, I'd rather be dead and be with Jesus Christ. Because I know as soon as my eyes close in death, the instant that my eyes close in death, my new eyes are going to open in glory, and I'm going to be with the Son, and I'm going to be with the Father physically forever. And there's nothing that can compare to that treasure. There's nothing that can compare to that hope. Everything else pales in comparison. Everything else is poor and beggarly compared to that promise and that hope that we have. 
And you wonder when you read through Fox's Book of Martyrs and you see through church history, if you've ever studied church history and what Christians have gone through, that truly the church, the growth of the church has always been watered with the blood of the saints. And you wonder, how do they have such divine perspective? How was it that they were able to endure such horror, such atrocities from our standpoint, from our viewpoint, and happily go to their death for the sake of the upward calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being ministers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Divine perspective. Now, I believe that God's grace and his mercy are for you, and they are for the place and for the time in which you live. When Philippians, when Paul says in Philippians that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, remember what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about getting the promotion or scoring a touchdown or, or doing some incredible physical feat. What he was talking about is no matter what station of life I find myself in and no matter what circumstances I find myself in, whether good or bad, I can do all things. In other words, I can live that godly life through Christ who gives me strength. And that ought to be our call, but I believe that God supplies his grace, supplies his grace according to the situation that you find, your, that you find yourself in. I believe that his strength and his mercy will get us through whatever it is that God intends for us to go through, whether good or bad. The Christian's life and the Christian's focus ought to always just to be centered around the man Jesus Christ and the relationship that he has given back to us with our Father in heaven because of what he did at Calvary. And the fact that all of it is for, not today, not the here and now, but for the next life. Hard though, isn't it? It's hard. That's why church. That's why church. You know, uh, my, my pastor, your pastor, my dad, has quoted for us 6,500 million times, probably. Uh, Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some <laughs> have grown in the habit of doing, right? But he talks about coming together and all the more as you see that day approaching. Not because church is some requirement. We're going to get into this today. Uh, the law versus grace. Not because church is some religious requirement. If you go to church, you're a good person. If you don't go to church, you're a bad person. Church is for you. Church is an oasis in the middle of a wilderness for you so that we can come together and we can have fellowship together as saints. We can have fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as he moves among us, that we can study the word together and that we can be equipped and encouraged to go from this place into the weak, into the desert, into the wilderness, into the valley or to the mountaintop or whatever it is and be more than conquerors. That's what church is for. It's for us. It's to give us that divine purpose. And so we take that time, whatever it is, and we set it aside. We put it aside. I don't know about you, but when I'm walking over here on Sunday morning, it's like zippity doo right? I need this. 
I need to see you guys on Sunday. I need to have fun. And it doesn't matter if there's five of us or 50 of us or 100 of us. It doesn't make any difference. I need that. And I hope that you do as well. Relationship. Relationship is what it's always been about. If you go all the way back to the first chapter, the first couple of chapters in Genesis, God created them male and female, and he created them for relationship. Every single day, the Bible says, in the cool of the day, God would come walking physically through the garden, and he would come just to hang out with Adam and Eve, just to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And that's why he gave them that divine warning that you don't understand fully what this means probably, but the day in which you allow disobedience into your heart, that's all the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was. It was an act of either disobedience or obedience. And it had to be provided, a choice. We're not robots, we're not automatons. We don't walk around, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. God wants you to choose him. It's always a choice. And so choice was given to Adam and Eve. And God said, but please choose life. Please choose obedience. Because in the day in which you choose disobedience, you'll surely die. And of course, God wasn't talking about physical death, was he? He was talking about the fact that they would fall to sin and that their spiritual connection with God would be broken, would be severed, because God and sin cannot inhabit the same space at the same time. And this is my eight billion time analogy. Dawn dish detergent. Remember the commercial? The drop of Dawn dish detergent goes into the pan of grease and the grease goes bloop. That's God and sin. Remember what he said to Moses? Moses is like, now show me your glory. You know what I mean? And God's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, whoa, 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 whoa. Moses, remember, buddy. Nobody can see my face and live. No man can see my face and live. Not that he didn't want Moses to see him. He loved Moses. He called him the friend of God along with Abraham. But Moses was a sinner. And sin separates mankind from Almighty God. And there is no exception to that law. You Christians are so narrow-minded. You Christians are so bigoted. You Christians are so this and that. There is one way there's one way, what kind of a monster would I be to tell people there was more than one way to get to God than through Jesus Christ, knowing it not to be so. Now we love and we take care of our fellow man to the best of our ability, but we tell the truth, even if they hate us for it. Why? I want to see them in glory. I don't care about their comfort on planet Earth. You know, the Bible actually condones slavery, blah, 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 because they were like, slaves, obey your masters. You know why the Bible said slaves, obey your masters? At the time that that was written, Rome was like, what, 75% slaves? And the slaves are getting saved left and right. And I'm, free, I'm a king's kid now. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't have to listen to you anymore, prefect. And what Paul was pointing out to, the, to the, those who were slaves who had become Christians and followers of Jesus Christ is you have not been saved, you have not been born again for freedom in this life. Hello? You have been saved, you have been born again for freedom in the next life and for a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
If you're a slave, serve God there. What are you going to do, pastor? They're going to round us Christians up. They're going to put us in FEMA camps. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to shoot the first guy that comes to... I'm going to shoot them all. I'm going to kill as many cops as I can. I'm going to kill as many soldiers as I can. They're not taking me. I'm an American. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. You know, they need preachers in FEMA camps too. And if, if that was God's will, and that's what happens to the United States of America, my job description doesn't change. Let me take off my preacher hat, my Jesus Christ, disciple of Jesus Christ hat, and put on my patriot hat and start pumping them full of lead, baby. That's not what my Bible teaches me. Your freedom, your comfort, your prosperity, your health is not what God has promised you. And it's time that we get our heads... <laughs> in the right place. <laughs> it's time that we get our heads in the right place. Divine perspective. Divine perspective. God, help me to put my focus where it needs to be. That no matter what happens, that no matter what comes, I will never forget the price for which I was purchased unto you and that my body doesn't belong to me it belongs to you. Why does the scripture say? I was purchased with a price. And it was the greatest price at the greatest cost that have ever been paid in the history of all the universe. The blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the very Son of God. Poured out for no other reason than God loves us and he wants the relationship restored. You know, if you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's accounts as Christians are being brought down uh, into the Colosseum to be burned, that people would be, would be in the audience and they would be watching this, and, and whatever their station was in life in those days and whatever comforts they had in their life, they were seeing something in these Christians that superseded, that went beyond, that transcended all of the comforts of being an obedient Roman citizen, and all the comforts of just this, what this world had to offer, they saw something in these Christians that they had never, ever seen anywhere before, and it was hope, and it was a true hope that went beyond this life, and there were those who would stand up in the audience and say, I want to be counted as one of the Christians. And they'd pull them down out of the audience and tie them up and burn them too. Now that's perspective. I'm not looking to get burnt, <laughs> Okay. But here's what I believe. Here's where our faith comes into it, folks. What does Jesus Christ say about worry? Don't worry about tomorrow. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, blah, 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 blah. These are what the pagans run around after. They chase around after all day long like chickens with their heads cut off. And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, that you need to be provided for. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What will be added unto you? What you need. How about what I want? What you need. How about what I really, really want? What you need. That's the perspective. So, with that in mind, Deuteronomy chapter 14. 
let's talk about food. <laughs> I'm always down to talk about food. You know what I mean? I just think, how does a uh, oxen taste with Anchor Bar Buffalo wing sauce on it? Deuteronomy chapter 14. <clears throat> We're picking up uh, in verse 3. Well, we might as well read from the top, right? First thing God says, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That was last week's message. And we talked about the fact that God has set us aside, that God has set us apart. And some of the rules and some of the laws and some of the regulations we may not understand. It may not make sense to us. We obey because God said so. We obey because we belong to him, because we are his kids. And he has chosen us to be separate. He has chosen us to be different. He has called us to be different. So God continues, speaking through Moses in 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 3, you shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you sh or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat, such as these, the camel, the hare, and the rock hyrax, for they chew the cud, but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you, because it has cloven hooves yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. This is why religious Jewish people do not eat shellfish. That's why. Any clean bird you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon and the kite after their kinds, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, and the hopo and the bat. No problem with that one. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You remember when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Remember what he said to them? Literally, if you were a Pharisee or Sadducee or a teacher of the law, you know how in the summertime the black flies and the gnats start coming out? What a curse they are, aren't they? Abysmal, the mayflies. And they're everywhere. And ever you're walking around and you're just breathing, <sighs> And next thing you know, you're, you got one right in your throat. You would see a religious Pharisee on the street corner going like this to get it out. You got to get that gnat out like that. Why? Because it had not been prepared and it was an unlawful beast you, they couldn't eat. And Jesus said, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And of course, he was talking about the wickedness and the things that they allowed in their hearts. But that's why, <laughs> okay? It was unlawful. Uh, where would we... Uh, verse uh, 19 is where we left off. Every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. 
You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So this week I wanted to talk quickly. Uh, we're in this portion. I figure it's, it's, it's worthwhile for us to talk about foods, for us to talk about diet. There's a lot that's said. There's a lot that goes around from time to time about, uh, you know, Christians should be you know, getting on this certain kind of diet or eating this certain kind of way. And, you know, the Lord never released us from this. So I thought, well, we're here we are. Let's go through it and let's, let's talk about it. Of course, as you guys all are very well aware, I'm not the be-all and end-all uh, on, on this thing. And my opinion is just that. It's my opinion. We're going to go through some scriptures. And this is why we go through scriptures. You decide, okay? Always what I want to lead you to is you are free in Jesus Christ. You're not free to sin, all right? We're not free to sin. We're not free to be disobedient. But we are free in Jesus Christ. It is for freedom, the scripture says, that we have been made free. So here we are. Once again, the children are just about to enter into the promised land. And so Moses is reiterating the laws to this new generation. Their parents had all wandered in the desert for 40 years until every single last one of them had died, just as God had said, because of their unbelief. And now this next generation is about to enter into the promised land. Moses is reiterating the law to them once again. Now, in the wilderness, according to Leviticus 17.3, everything that they ate, every piece of meat that they ate first had to be brought to the tabernacle and sacrifice there before they would eat it or they would be cut off from the people. But now when they come into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God lays out for them the fact that they may eat of any of these clean animals. They don't have to bring it all the way to where the tabernacle is and then in the future where the temple is going to be in order to eat meat. You can eat meat, anything that's clean, anytime you want. The only important thing that God pointed out through Moses was you have to still prepare it correctly. All of its blood has to be drained out. And God is very specific. It's a big, big deal to God that all of the blood is drained out, that there would be no consumption of blood that ever took place. And he always would give the reason because the life of the creature is in its blood. There's something about the blood, right? And we know this in every aspect of our understanding of Scripture, blood is sacred. Blood is very important. It's what gives us life. And it's what had to be shed in order to atone for sin. Whether it was through a sacrifice or whether it was through someone being put to death for sin, there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. So they could eat the meat once they come into the promised land and they're, and they're scattered all over the land, but they had to prepare it correctly. Now we get into the list, the list. Um, and we talked a little bit about this last week. Why this list? Why certain animals? Certain of them, it makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? Don't eat a bat. You know, okay, no problem. A vulture. Ugh. No, birds of carrion. That makes sense. I understand that. But then why not this animal? And why not that animal? You know, have you ever had black stallion loaf? It's delicious. I'm totally joking, by the way. I'm totally joking. You don't, you, they don't eat horses. Well, I mean, you can eat a horse. I don't think it's necessarily going to make you sick. It's kind of weird for us because we love horses are kind of near and dear. You know what I mean? If you ever read Black Beauty as a kid or the Black Stallion series, or that was my personal favorite, it's like, eat a horse, you know, but if you're hungry enough, you know. Um, <clears throat> but they were not to eat them, okay, along with camels and all these other things. And this is, what we, this is what we got to. Why certain animals? And, and you can get into all sorts of mental gymnastics with it. Because God said so. 
And I think so much of what God said, and, and I think where that point is really, really made <clears throat> is down in verse 21, where he says, you shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. So what God is saying here is it's not that if you have a sheep or a goat or an oxen that just drops over dead, it's not as though cutting that up at that moment in time, draining the blood out of it and taking that meat and eating it in and of itself is some unclean thing or something that's wicked or abominable. And in fact, you can take that meat and you can give it to the aliens who are in, in your midst, not space aliens, right? People who are from other countries who are in Israel who find themselves in need or, 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 or just, you know, whether they are people who are needy, who don't have anything to eat, you can show mercy on them and give them some meat to eat, or you can sell that meat to foreigners. It's okay for them to eat it. But you, God says, but you are to be separate. You are called to be something else. And I want there to be a difference made between you and them. It's not necessarily about the thing. It's about we're obedient to our God. And that's what separates us, and that's what sets us aside. A few scriptures for you. 1 Corinthians, you can flip here if you'd like, or you can listen. I promise I'll read the right ones. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 12 to 13. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. And then he continues, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What Paul is talking about here when he writes to the church of Corinth is it's not about the food. It's not about, about eating a certain way, and it's not about doing things a certain way in a ceremonial or religious way that sets us aside. It's the fact that our bodies belong to the Lord. Our bodies belong to the Lord. But you are free. You are free to use your own body and to take care of your own body as you think best so long as it doesn't break the commandments of God. So long as it doesn't break the commandments of God. Now, uh, going through from the Old Testament to the New Testament, um, Remember in Genesis, I had these written down and somewhere I lost it. I don't know how that happened. Oh, yeah, it's right here. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That ain't good. That ain't going to be good. All right. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 to 30 says this. Behold, now this is right after Adam and Eve are created. God says to them, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So you'll have people that will say, you know, we, we want to go back to a you know, Genesis 1 diet, a Genesis 1 diet. That's what we were built, built for. That's what we were made for was a Genesis 1 diet. If you really want to follow close to the Lord, if you really want to be close to God, then you got to go back to be, and it was vegetarian, baby. It was vegan, no animal-based. Well, remember this, okay? You can tell your, your vegan friends if they're getting after you. The animals were vegan too. 
What do you mean, lions were eating straw? Well, the Bible says that in the millennial reign, when God and when Jesus Christ is ruling from Jerusalem, and then in the new heaven and the new earth, the, 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 the wolf, it actually says, will lie down with the lamb and will eat straw like an ox. There is going to be no more tearing of flesh. There is going to be no, no more carnivores or meat eaters in the kingdom. There will be no death. There will be no bloodshed. And that's exactly the way it was before the fall of mankind. Every creature, every dinosaur, every he said, that sounds crazy. Well, God can do whatever he wants. God can do whatever he wants. And we have absolutely no idea what kind of fruits and vegetables existed in the garden, right? We always limit God. We always tend to limit God. Well, what, what are you, lions eating apples? That's ridiculous. No, I'm sure there was lots of plants that were there for lions and, and tigers and bears. Thank you. Um, that, were, that were perfectly fine for them to eat that suited all of their dietary needs. The point is, is there is nothing about our current world that resembles before the fall of Adam and Eve. Nothing. Precurse that resembles post-curse. And definitely that includes the dietary habits of humans and of animals. As though somehow by eating uh, in a, in a ve you know, vegetarian or vegan, I can go back to before the fall in my heart. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me, to me. Uh, now, you fast forward after the fall, mankind becomes worse and worse and worse. We get to the account of Noah and his family and the flood. Noah builds the ark for a hundred years. The flood comes. Mankind is wiped out except for Noah and his family. And after they get off the ark, God says this to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So now there's this polar shift in the diet that God gives to his people. From pre-fall of man, where it was completely 100% vegan, I guess that's what the word you would use, to now post-flood, post-diluvian, when Noah and his family are basically released from the ark and set out upon, the, you know, God says, be fruitful and multiply, and he tells them specifically, you can eat anything you want. If you can stomach it, you can eat it. That stays the same until the Mosaic law, until the Mosaic law. Now, when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for all those hundreds of years, they were just eating whatever was provided for them. There was no kosher law, you understand? There was none of that. They just ate whatever they were given. Remember, they were slaves. And they, their rigor was hard. Their cry went up to the Lord. Remember when he comes to Moses, he says, I've heard the cry of my people. They weren't eating kosher. They weren't following any. They were eating to live. But then God brings them out of Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai and gives them the law and then continues to give them the law as they travel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And God begins to take these people and separate them from all the other people on the planet. And that's when God lays out for them their dietary laws and the strict kosher laws. But remember what God was trying to do, and I think that there probably was health benefits going along with it as well. That makes sense to me. You know, they didn't have the sanitation that we do today. One of the things I always think about, like when the Pharisees, remember they got after Jesus' disciples because they didn't wash their hands. You know, before they ate, ceremonially, you're supposed to wash your hands a certain way before you ate. And they saw Jesus' disciples, they were picking grain, and they're eating it, and they, why do your disciples not wash their hands? <clears throat> well, 
they had no understanding of germs. You understand what I'm saying? There was no soap. You know, that's why when people used to go to the hospital, they would die there. Not too many hundred years ago, right? I don't know, it was back in, when was, I can't, there's a, there's a definitive date when soap was invented. And the life expectancy of people going into the hospital went through the roof. Because to that point, they had no understanding of germs. The point I'm making to you is the Pharisees were all excited about this ceremonial hand washing. They weren't killing any of the germs. They were just taking water and going, wee, we're clean. And all the icky, nasty, disgusting germs were still there. Well, God knows, and I think that probably the, 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 the strict diet that he gave them probably had something to do with health. But I think more importantly than anything else, it was about setting them aside, setting them apart from everyone else. Now, fast forward to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus begins to teach the disciples, you know, and it starts on the Mount of Olives when he gives the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts to teach them, his message is that it's not about what happens ceremonially. It's not about your outward actions that makes you a child of God or a follower of God. What it is about is what's happening in your heart. It's about what's happening in your heart that is important. And he says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 through 18 to the disciples, and Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Interesting. Jesus Christ was making a specific point that they weren't understanding or getting, so he reiterates it to them. Don't be so caught up in the religious observances that the Pharisees are all about and that they hold everyone to so strictly. That is not what makes a man clean or unclean. What makes a man or woman clean or unclean is what comes from their heart. Uh, of course, you all know the account of Peter uh, in the book of Acts when Peter is up on the roof and he has this vision where the sheet is let down from heaven and every kind of four-footed beast and creeping thing and all these different animals are, are, are on the sheet in the vision and he hears a voice that says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And three times this happens and every time Peter goes, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And the voice from heaven says to him each time, don't call what God has made clean, unclean. And it happens again, and it happens again. Well, it was more than just the food, wasn't it? We know that Peter was going to be taken to the house of, of Cornelius and give him the gospel there, right? He was going to, was it Cornelius? Yeah, he was going to give him the gospel there, and his whole family was going to get saved. Now, a Jew or religious Jew would never enter the house of a Gentile let alone break bread with them, let alone eat what they were serving. And what God was showing Peter at that point in time is, Peter, remember, the dietary codes, the dietary restrictions has nothing to do with having a relationship with God. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 and 20 to 23 says this. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now remember, when the disciples were going around to all of these cities and telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all these people are getting saved, and churches are starting, 
there, was these, there were these formerly religious Jews who had become Christians, but were still following the laws of Moses that were following around behind Paul and behind the apostles and telling these brand new believers, these Gentiles, that you have to be circumcised as well and follow the laws of Moses. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus Christ. So much of what Paul writes is in direct opposition to that. It was extremely, extremely important that it was made abundantly clear that the only thing that is required of you to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to belong to God and to be saved is to put your hope and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't in new moons, it wasn't in Sabbaths, and it wasn't in the dietary restrictions. Notice what he says. Um, he, you know, he, th those things that God gives us in the Old Testament were a shadow, were a picture of what was to come, the freedom that we now have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the, verse 20, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulation? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. And here it is. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So, what does God say to the church? What is, God, what, is, what, what is our situation when it comes to dietary rules and codes? and There are none. There are none. Now, what I go back to is this. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 13. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Right? All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And that is an important, important thing for us to understand. Again, it always comes back to relationship, relationship, relationship. If you want to eat a Whopper, eat a Whopper and suffer the consequences, right? Right, that, that, that's, that's the thing. We are stewards of the bodies that God has given us, right? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is very clear that we should treat them accordingly. That means where we go, that means what we look at. That means what we listen to. That means the things that we allow our minds to think. That, thing, that means the things that we eat as well. We ought to be. Now, that's where, you know, that's like Christians have kind of, don't worry about that at all. What we eat has, no, we don't worry about that at all. But we ought to. We ought to. There's a reason I'm always on a diet. <laughs> I'm always trying. It's more than just wanting to be healthy. That's a huge part of it as well. But I want to take care of this body. You know what I mean? You can't always just be storing up and filling the storehouse and filling the storehouse. You know, sometimes you have to give it away, you know what I mean? And move, you know, do something. You can't just be building additions on the temple, you know. You, you know, there's, there's, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. You know, we talked a little bit about that last week. You know, back, back when I was a kid, you know, you saw somebody smoking cigarettes. You can't possibly, you can't possibly how can he be a Christian? As <laughs> you know, whopper sauce is on their shirt. Oh, look at that guy smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? And you're, you're eating cancer. You know what I mean? Really? Really? We ought to take care of our bodies to the best of our ability. Now, if you want to go eat a whopper, go eat a whopper. You know, God is not looking at you going, I can't believe you're eating that right now. 
you know. But I love the story that Chuck Smith said when he was in Bible school. They had an ice cream social once a week, and they would do a Bible study, and they would eat ice cream. And then one of the weeks, they're about, they got these big chocolate sundaes and all the fudge and the happy sauce and, you know, peanuts and cherries and whipped cream and all that stuff. And, and some guy, whoa, wait a second. You know what I just realized? We, we haven't said blessings before we eat. We need to say grace. And Pastor Chuck said, are you kidding me? He goes, just eat it and suffer the consequences, you know. <laughs> now, I think, it's, I think it is a wonderful testimony for us, too, if you're at a restaurant, even a Burger King, Okay to say a blessing, and to thank God for providing, right? To thank God for his provision in your life. We, what happens, though, is when we get our heads on the things that are not the main thing, that, that, and that's the point. God wants us to be separate. God has called us apart from this world to be different, and that ought to be evident in every phase and in every aspect of our lives, but we never turn around and then tell someone, because I'm eating a certain way, you need to eat a certain way. And because I'm doing this, you also need to do this. What's in the Bible, what's black and white, there's no wiggle room. And there's no room for discussion on it. But all the other things that pertain to life, this is the beauty, you're free. You're free. The Bible talks about the handwritings of requirements, which is the law which were against us because they're contrary to our very nature, were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Even when talking about food sacrifice to idols, which remember was prohibited during that church council because they got together and said, what is required of the Gentiles? What is required of the Gentiles? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow the laws of Moses? Do they have to follow the dietary restrictions? And the thing that they came to was, they said, abstain from idols, from things sacrificed to idols, from sexual immorality, and from blood. So the whole blood thing was, is still put on the church. Don't go out. Remember Red Dawn and they kill the deer and they drink the blood? Don't do that. Don't do that. The Bible says still for Christians that was given as a commandment. Abstain from blood, things sacrificed to idols, and sexual immorality. But later Paul in, in, in writing to the church would say, when you go into a Gentile's house, don't ask was this food sacrificed to an idol? And you're sitting there, you go in this house to tell them about Jesus Christ, and you stop and say, wait a second, before I eat any of this food that you've put before me, was any of this sacrificed to an idol? Well, as a matter of fact, yeah, we bought it down by the temple of Diana. But, oh, he cannot eat he goes, Paul says, shh, 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 <laughs> just eat it. That's what Paul says. Say grace and eat it and give them the gospel. Why? why? But, but Paul, why? it said we're not supposed to eat things like to obey is better than sacrifice, but I have desired mercy and not sacrifice, right? I've desired mercy and not sacrifice. The gospel of Jesus Christ being shown through our lives and being delivered to people with our voice when we're given opportunity is of the utmost importance, is of the utmost importance. Now, I'm not saying, okay, that you need to go in places you know you shouldn't be at and you need to partake in things you know you shouldn't partake in, well, I'm going to give them the gospel. I'm going to give them the gospel right after. <laughs> you know, no, 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 you know, uh, you know, missionary dating, you know, that's a big thing with young people, missionary dating. You know, um, well, I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. That's why, that's why we're dating. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. It's not about compromise, 
It's not about compromise. It's about the fact that we're free to serve God. We're free to be set apart. We're free to just have our focus on the things that he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and, and thank you for the, for the freedom, Lord, that we do have in Christ Jesus. Uh, Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to uh, every single day, Lord, desire and seek to be closer uh, to your heart, Father, and to have a, a zeal inside of us, Lord, to know you better, Lord, to understand your word more, and to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. Uh, we pray that that divine perspective that we spoke of, Lord, would become more and more uh, real in our, in our lives and in our hearts, Lord, every single day. And we're th thankful and we're grateful, Lord, for the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the relationship that we have with you because of what he has done for us, uh, and that you see us as complete and as holy, not because of our actions or how good or bad we are every week, Lord, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, Lord. Help our obedience to you uh, and, and, our, and, and our, um, allowing our, our hearts to be brought into submission to your word to come from a place of love, Lord, and thanksgiving, not from a place of fear, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thanks, everybody.